Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Happy Easter to everyone who's excited. Uh, Okay, yeah, awesome. let's, Let's test something out here. He is risen. Okay, so we have like we have some like good old school church people in here, and we have people that are like, what, like what, what just happened? Um, if you if you grew up in a Western church or a Midwestern church, basically every Easter, what happens is the preacher is supposed to come up here and say, "He is risen," and then everybody answers, "He is risen indeed." So that's just. That's kind of how it goes. Uh, so you probably missed the only chance that you have at actually participating in what's kind of a typical Easter service, because that's about as Easter as this is going to get today. <laughs> yeah, because uh, God doesn't necessarily work on our time frames or with our dates, and the word that he uh, wants to speak through me today is not subject to our culture. I'm supposed to obey what he wants to say. So it's... There's not going to be a whole lot of Easter in here. Well, there, there's always a little bit of Easter because we're, we're, we're worshiping a risen Christ. Um, so I hate to say the cliche that like every Sunday is kind of an Easter, so I'm, I'm not going to say it even though I just did. But, uh, also, a quick shout out. Um, this is the first time in seven years, six years, that I have both of my hands free. Um, yeah, it's awesome. For those of you that have really only had extended conversations with me or, or heard me talk uh, from up here, I've only had one hand free. Um, you might not know, but I, I actually talk with my hands quite a bit. And so now you're, you're going to say, like why, like, why is he so crazy up there? It's because now I actually have both of them. So um, also just a, another quick shout out. Um, this, the, the funds for the face mic was donated by a single person. Uh, and I, I loved this person very much before they donated the money. So you know who you are. Shout out to you. Um, I love you even more now. Yeah. <laughs> it's not about the gifts. I love you in general. But, but, but gifts also help. <laughs> uh, men that'll preach. Uh, I don't, when, when's, when's Mother's Day? I don't, I don't, I don't know. But, yeah, whatever. So. Maybe that's for your anniversary or for your birthday. Just go ahead and get her a gift, get her something. Yeah, but okay, I guess I should probably rein this in and actually get going here. But So we are continuing this week in our series, Uncommon. And Heather opened up last week, and she started with this idea that, that what God is doing in our day is uncommon. We are, we're in a Kairos moment, the special moment in time where, where God is breaking in. And one of the, the passages that she used was Joel 2, which says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will, will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And so the question is, if we are in this special time where God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh, What does that mean for us? If we're in this uncommon time, what does that mean for us? And so there's probably an issue there. Because how many of you would say that more often than not, you feel like a common person? Not an uncommon person. You can participate. It's okay. It's all right. Yeah. 
raise your hand, praise Jesus, something like that, whatever. Right? I'm just a normal guy or I'm a normal girl. I, I go to work. I go to church. Hang out with my friends. Have my hobbies. Go to church. Go to work. Hang out with my friends. Have my hobbies. I live a normal life. Rinse and repeat. I'm assuming that's, most of, that's how most of you feel most of the time. You're just going through life. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you actually feel special this morning and you, and you feel like you know, the world kind of revolves around you. Maybe you're my two-and-a-half-year-old son. <laughs> so either you believe that and you're two-and-a-half or you're probably delusional. And so let me burst that bubble this morning. You are not special. Happy Easter. <laughs> because maybe the reason that you feel common is because you are common. And so is every single person in the Bible. They were all common people, but they were called by an uncommon God. And they were given uncommon grace to do uncommon things so that they could build an uncommon kingdom. And so that's what we're going to dig into this morning. And since we are in this, this Joel 2 period, I believe that we are in the last days. We are in the days that Joel prophesied about where God is wanting to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Not just on one man, not just on Moses, not just on David, not just on the heroes of the faith, but he is wanting to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And so if we are living in those days, we have to understand how that works. What we are called to do, what, what is ours to, to steward, uh, what do we have inherently within ourselves? Uh, the answer is nothing, uh, but we're going to get to that. But what we are called to steward and, and how we are to steward that well. And if God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh, that means that you are common, but you have been called by an uncommon God and been given uncommon grace to do uncommon things to build an uncommon kingdom. That is your calling this morning. And so I'm just going to break down this message into three different sections. Common people and an uncommon God, uncommon grace to do uncommon things, and then to build an uncommon kingdom. So that's where we're going this morning. I'm going to spend, try to spend the majority of my time in uncommon grace to do uncommon things. Because if this, if this series and this time that we're in is, is, is a kairos moment and, and we are called to do uncommon things, God gives us uncommon grace for that. And so we have to understand how to steward that well. What the Bible says about stewarding that well. So that's where we're going to try to focus most of our time. Although, before I keep going, I need to pray. <laughs> so let's pray. But Father, we just come before you this morning. Humbled by the fact that, that the God of the universe calls common people to participate with him in his divine nature. that the God that spoke the world into existence and spoke us into existence would stoop down and, and, and take on the very nature of, of a servant and live a perfect life and die in my place. So that my old self could also die. 
and then raise again so that my new self could be born into new life. We are purchased by your blood. So God, would you just help us to understand this morning our identity in you, what you have called us to, and how we are to build this kingdom that you're coming back for. So God, would your spirit just rest in this place? Would you take my imperfect words and would you split it into a million pieces and just pierce every individual's heart for exactly what you'd have them to hear? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first section, common people, uncommon God. As I said before, not a single person in the Bible, except for Jesus, is ever indicated as being inherently special. Adam and Eve kind of are, but they blow it. And John the Baptist gets kind of close, but he's still just a, just a, a common human, but the only reason why he was uncommon is because even in the womb, he had an encounter with an uncommon God to pour out his spirit onto John the Baptist. And so everybody in the Bible is common. Yes, there are people who had amazing callings and they did amazing things. We think about the patriarchs, Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua and the judges and David and the prophet, prophets and all of the apostles, all of the heroes of the faith. All of them were just men and women until they were called by an uncommon God. And so let's give a couple examples. Let's go to Moses. So in Exodus, we meet Moses. Moses is born to a slave girl, normal in every way, or even lower than normal in every way. Moses born to a slave girl, but because of, of God's specific provision over him, God breaks into human history and says, I'm going to preserve Moses because I have a calling over his life. And Moses ends up being raised in Pharaoh's household. And then Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household and he uh, starts to feel the weight of the oppression of his people. And so one day he flies off the handle and he kills an, an, Egypt, he kills an Egyptian, buries him in the sand and then runs away into the wilderness, starts a brand new life in the wilderness as a shepherd, starts a family, common in every way. But then he encounters the living God in a burning bush and an uncommon God calls him to uncommon things. And for those uncommon things, he gives him uncommon grace to start to build an uncommon kingdom. And so because God calls him out of his commonness, Moses uh, uh, does all kinds of miracles, brings the Israelites out of Egypt, parts the Red Sea. And it seems like Moses' life is uncommon, but it's just because he was called by an uncommon God. What about David? We meet David in 1 Samuel. David, it says that he was born into sin. Uh, a lot of scholars believe that means he was potentially an illegitimate child. And he was basically rejected by his family and sequestered uh, out in the wilderness to just care for their flocks, probably because of that shame that was on the family. So David is common in every way. He's a shepherd, an illegitimate child. Until he encounters God in the wilderness and God breaks in and David is able to kill a wild lion and a bear with his bare hands. 
And this same shepherd boy then, being his normal shepherd boy self, his father says, hey, your brothers are on the battlefield. Go take them some food, see how they're doing, and come back and report to me. And so David, just doing his normal earthly duties, goes to the battlefront, gives his brother some food, and then Goliath shows up. And David encounters God again, and he says, who is this that challenges the armies of the living God? And with the anointing of the Lord, David goes out and he kills Goliath and leads the Israelites into victory. David, common in every way until he encounters an uncommon God and is called by him and submits to that calling. One more, let's go to the New Testament. In Luke 1, we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a normal guy, a normal priest, going through his normal priestly duties. His wife, they're old, his wife Elizabeth is barren. And in the midst of Zechariah doing his normal daily duties, an angel shows up and says, Elizabeth, your barren wife, is going to bear a son who will prepare the way for the Messiah. Real quick as an aside, ladies, if you feel barren, not just physically, but also spiritually, God hasn't counted you out yet. If you're Zechariah and you're old and you're coming toward the end of your life and you have just been doing your normal daily duties, God hasn't counted you out yet. There are still things that need to be birthed through you that are to prepare the way for the Messiah. So don't count yourself out. Lean into it. The building of the kingdom of God is not just for young bucks like myself. Yes, I do have a lot of energy, but I also need your wisdom. And I need your fighting experience. And so Zechariah hears this from the angel, and his response is, how am I going to experience this? I'm a normal man. My wife is barren. We're common. And the angel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of Yahweh, and he has sent me to tell you this. He is calling you to an uncommon calling. Yes, you're common. Yes, you're unqualified. Yes, your wife is barren. But he is calling you into something that is uncommon. And so Gabe says, listen, Zechariah, yes, you're common, but I'm here because God is calling you to something that is uncommon. uncommon, And so it's not your place to question what God does or does not want to do. You're supposed to submit to what the Lord's calling is in you, step into it, and obey. It's not about the giftings that you have or the station that you're at in life. It's about the God that's calling you. And so again, yes, you are common, but the God of the universe is calling you to himself. And it's the one who calls you who makes you uncommon. And again, if we are in the last days, if we are in these Joel 2 days, then he is calling you. He's not just calling Moses. He's not just calling David. He's not single out one person that seems to have a gifting. If you feel unqualified this morning, you're exactly the person that he is calling out. Because it's not about what you have. It's not about your own gifts. It's about what he is about to pour out on you. He wants to give you uncommon grace to do uncommon things. 
which is a great transition into the second section of the message. Uncommon grace to do uncommon things. Let's dive into that a little bit more. Turn to Luke 9, 1 through 2. It says this, And he, Jesus, and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And then he said to them, Take nothing from your journey, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and don't have two tunics, not even a change of underwear. And so let's start to break this down a little bit. And he called. It doesn't say, and the disciples were especially equipped in and of themselves. No. Common people called by an uncommon God. And he called and he gave them power and authority. He called them to do uncommon things. To be like Jesus and proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He called, he gave. What a privilege and responsibility it is to proclaim the kingdom of the living God. And whenever the kingdom of God is proclaimed, there should be an expectation that healing and freedom follow. Whenever the kingdom of God is proclaimed, there should be an expectation that healing and freedom follow. Jesus says, I have come to proclaim that the captives be set free, blind eyes open, deaf ears will hear, the lame will walk, and the oppressed will be set free. Whenever the kingdom of God is proclaimed, healing and freedom follow. Why? Because as the kingdom of God is advancing, it's bumping up against the kingdom of this world, and because Christ has already won the victory, the miraculous breaks out. Because God likes to show off when his kingdom is bumping up against the kingdom of the world. Again, he likes to show off. And so to accomplish this calling, he called them and he gave them uncommon gifts. They did not have it on their own. He gave them power and authority. Now, they had to participate. They had to step into that authority and walk in faith. They had to walk in the power and the authority that was given to them by the grace of Jesus, but they did not possess it on their own. And to remind them of that, to give them a physical reminder of that, Jesus says, don't take any money, don't take a change of underwear, don't take any food, just go. So that you understand when you are are out ministering to people, what is coming out of you has nothing to do with what you have on your own. It is all coming from me. I am using you as my conduit. See, in and of themselves, they possessed nothing. They were simply a vessel in which God's power and presence dwelt and the conduit through which his kingdom is declared and established in power. And that's who you are. You have nothing in and of yourselves. You are simply a vessel in which God's power and presence dwells, and you are the conduit through which his kingdom is declared and established 
and power. Craig brought up a great verse a couple weeks ago that applies directly to this, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. There's surpassing power and authority that comes out of God's people when the kingdom of God is bumping up against the kingdom of this world is not to show that we have power. It's to show that that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, that gift that you have is empowered by God as we partner with him in that gift to execute his will and to bring about his kingdom. It is not about your will or your kingdom. And this is something that my little funny brain, that my little funny brain did when I read uh, Luke 9. If Dalton's in here, it was my squigglies. Um, so, like, listen to this. It says, and he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Those are the only two things that it lists. And so what my funny brain did, I, I, this, this is not the Bible. This is just my funny brain. What, what my brain did is, I wonder if, like, the disciples tried to get out over their skis a little bit. Like, God gave them authority over demons, and he gave them authority to heal diseases. And I wonder if, like, they were ministering to people, and John was like, hey, Peter, watch this. Uh, is, there, is there a Brenda? Is there a Brenda out there? And maybe your mom, uh, like, fell and got ran over by a donkey cart, and now her leg is broken. No? Oh, okay, maybe it's not Brenda. Maybe it's a Sue. Is there a Sue out there? No? Okay, well, I guess I'll just step back into the authority that I was given. And we're, and we're, and we're just, just going to do demons and we're just going to heal, heal diseases. I, I can't, God hasn't released the prophetic yet. That, that's what my brain did. I don't know if that actually happened, but it's funny. Because the disciples were, were like us. Like in their flesh, they're like, oh, this is fun. This is so cool. Let's try this. Crash and burn. Because they stepped into a place that God hadn't given them power and authority yet. And they tried to do it on their own. That didn't actually, well, it might have happened, but we don't know that. Let's go to Luke 10.1. This is basically the exact same situation. It says, and after this, the Lord appointed 72. It was 12, now it's 72. He appointed 72 others and he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. We'll come back to that phrase a little bit later at the end. This is basically the exact same setup. For the next several verses, like God just says, okay, or Jesus says, like, okay, like, you're going to go out, you're going to heal the sick, you're going to go into all the towns, heal the sick, minister to them, you're not going to take anything with you, no staff, no food, no money, no nothing. Show up in the town. If you find a person of peace, stay with them. If you don't find a person of peace, shake the dust from your feet, and it's going to be worse for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, that, that, that's what he lays down. And in verse 9, he says, and when you enter the town, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. It doesn't say heal the sick and say that God has given me special gifts. It doesn't say heal the sick and look at these gifts. It says heal the sick and say the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is bumping up against the kingdom of this world. And when that happens, this stuff happens. People are set free. Deaf ears open. Blind eyes see. The lame walk. Leprosy is healed. Demons flee. And then let's bump down to, to 17 verse 20. So these 72 went out. And then the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. 
And then Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Woohoo! Verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So the 72 go out, they're executing the Lord's will under the power and the anointing and the authority that he has given them. And they come back and they say, Jesus, this is awesome. Like even the demons obey us. And Jesus says, yes, I gave you authority over demons, but, but, but because of what you said right there, I need to give you a slight correction. Because Jesus knew if he let them continue on that thought pattern, that even the demons obey us, that starts them down a path that leads to abuse of power. That leads to abuse of the anointing of the Lord. That, that strays them away from the real identity of where that power and authority comes from. And so Jesus says, yes, absolutely, the demons obey you. However, nevertheless, don't rejoice in the fact that they obey you. Rejoice that you belong to me. Because that's where all that comes from in the first place. Jesus says, yes, I have given you authority, but it was given to you. It was given. It's a gift. Gifts can also be taken away. And that gift given to you was not a gift that you have in and of themselves. It is the presence and power of God that you are called to steward. And if you miss those last two words, it's a gift. Yes, it is your gift that God has given to you, but it's a gift that you are called to steward. If your, if your mind stops it, it's a gift that was given to me. You're missing it. That's what the disciples missed. The, the disciples stopped at, it's a gift that was given to me, and Jesus says, yes, to steward. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that you belong to me. It is my kingdom and my power and my will that you are called to steward with that gift. You see, in order to operate properly in the gifts of the Spirit, we must be firmly anchored in our identity in Him. We have to. Because we were not born into royalty, we were adopted into it. We do not have these gifts on our own. They were given to us. You were adopted into the family of God. You didn't earn it. You weren't born into it. You were called into it, and it was set on you. It's just like the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal son goes away, and he just squanders everything that the Lord has given him. And, and, and as he comes back, he's trying to justify to his father, hey, like just I just want to be a servant. And, and his dad says, shh, shut up. You are my son. Give him a robe. Put a ring on his finger. It is, it is a seal that he is mine. He didn't earn it. In fact, he, he negative earned it. <laughs> but it was given to him. And so if we stray from this, if we stray from our identity in Christ, 
by even the slightest degree, there will be abuses and misuses of, of God's gifts. There absolutely will be. This has happened in almost every revival and outpouring of the Spirit. God has anointed people with authority and given them gifts, but without fail, eventually they stop where the disciples stopped and said, this gift has been given to me. And they start just, just straying slightly from the path that the Lord has set before them, and they stop understanding that, yes, you were given this gift, but you were given this gift to steward. It is not yours. Just like the parable of the talents, the master gives all the servants the talents, and he says, yes, this is yours. You own it. You're supposed to go grow it. But remember that when I come back, you have to give it back to me. It's not yours to keep. You're supposed to steward it well. And so in many revivals, people start to believe that the gift that they own, that the gift that they have is theirs to own rather than they are stewarding the presence and the authority of God. And when that happens, their ministry starts to completely unravel. And there are all kinds of examples that you can find. If you want to if, if Google it, you can Google it, and you're going to find a lot of crap. But there are all kinds of stories about the abuses of God's power, and every single one of them is because they started looking at me. They weren't rejoicing that their names were written in heaven. They were rejoicing that the demons obey them and that they were able to heal people. This means that we need to be extremely careful not to wield the gift of our own will or of our own purposes. Now, we lean into the gifts as much as we possibly can, but you always have to check yourself and have community around you for accountability that, that says, so that you don't stray from, all right, my identity is centered in Christ. Because both your calling and your gifting were given to you for his glory, for his purposes, for his kingdom, for his will, and not your own. That was the right page to flip. So let's give a, a biblical example of how this abuse sometimes can work. Let's go back to Moses. Moses was, was powerfully cho- chosen and anointed by God, right? We kind of already covered that. Like he was powerfully chosen by God in the burning bush. He was given all sorts of anointing and power to execute miracles, to bring, bring plagues on Egypt, to part the Red Sea, to provide for the people in the wilderness. And in Exodus 17, we see one of these examples. God tells Moses to strike a rock so that he can provide water to the Israelites and to all their livestock because they were all dying of thirst in the wilderness. And so Moses strikes the rock and provides water to the people. Then again in Numbers 20, God clearly tells Moses to speak to the rock to release the water. And Moses strikes the rock and the water is released for the people and to water the livestock. What's the problem? Moses operated in his own authority, in his own idea about how things were supposed to go. He was not operating from a place of humility or listening to what God was calling him to do. Now, the rock still gave water. Because God had anointed Moses to serve and to rescue his people. 
And so even though Moses was broken and did not operate properly within that gift, God still was was compassionate on his people and saved his people, but there was a consequence for Moses. Namely, he was not able to enter the promised land. Why? Yes, it was a consequence for his actions, but I, I also believe that God said, I can't have that attitude. I can't have somebody wielding my spirit of their own will when my people enter the promised land. That cannot continue, and so I have to kill it. So Moses, you don't get to join the people in the promised land because you thought that you could operate under your own will. Even though it's under my power, if it's under, if it's under your own will, you're trying to manipulate me, and that's not how it works. And so there were consequences for Moses trying to manipulate the will and the anointing of the Father for his own, for his own purposes, for his own will. So just because you have the anointing and just because God, because God is blessing your ministry, and maybe you pray for people and they're healed, maybe you're prophesying over them, and people are experiencing amazing things from the Lord, but just because the Lord is pouring out his spirit through you doesn't necessarily mean that he is approving of your life. Because God is compassionate on his people, he will still call people to himself, he will still save them through the miraculous breaking out, but you need to always check your heart and check your spirit and have people around you that can help, you, help do that for you. Because if you start to stray, even though good things are happening in your wake, there's also damage in your wake too. And so we need to protect against that. This is not to prevent you from practicing the gifts. It's to encourage you that we need to practice them properly and to have the awe and reverence for the Father that, that, that his power and authority is due. It's not your kingdom. It's his. And so we need to treat it that way. Let's give a New Testament example. Acts 8, verse 9, and then we're going to read 12 through 24. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. We know how that goes. And then verse 12, but when they believed, the people, when the people of the area, but when the people of area believed Philip as he was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and he and seeing great signs and miracles performed, he was amazed. Simon was saved, he was baptized, and he entered into full-time ministry. Previous warlock, previous sorcerer, and God breaks in in power and saves him, he's baptized, and he enters into full-time ministry with Philip. Verse 14, now when the apostles at Jerusalem had heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Now, I have known that passage and read that passage many times, but when I was studying for this message, something different jumped out to me. Like, I, I kind of assumed that because of Simon's background, he was just hoping to obtain that power for himself so that he can continue in his own sorcery stuff. 
I don't, I don't believe that that's actually what happened. Simon was saved, he was baptized, and entered into full-time ministry, and he saw the works of the Lord happening, he was amazed. And so when Simon saw that, the, that the, the Spirit of God was given through the laying on of apostles' hands, I don't think that his intentions were actually bad. He went about it in a very bad way. But I don't think his intentions were actually bad. I think that he saw that and he was like, wait, like if this is how it works, like if I can just start like, like laying my hands on people and, and, and they receive the Spirit, like let's blow this thing up, right? Let's multiply it. Like give me the Spirit. I'll go everywhere and I'll just start slaying people in the Spirit. Like let's go, Right? I think that's probably what more what he was like. And so he's like, hey, like, like, like if I can have that, give it to me. Here's, like, here's some money. I'll, I'll, I'll go blow up the church. Tell me where to go. I'll go there. We'll start giving people the spirit. So I don't believe that it was just that he tried to buy it. I don't believe that it was just that he tried to purchase it. It wasn't necessarily about the money. The real problem was that he thought he could acquire it and use it of his own volition. He thought he could earn it by money. And then he wanted to use it of his own volition. His desire to give people the spirit was not based on his identity in Christ. It was based on, oh, well, if I can just go do this and and give the spirit to whoever I want to, let's go. That's not how God works. God moves where he wants to move when he wants to move, and he just so happens to choose people that are moving with him. That's how it works. You can't just go out and do whatever you want. His desire for the Spirit was not rooted in an identity in Christ. So any attempt at manipulation or control of the supernatural is at best witchcraft, and you are in serious danger of leaving the door open to demonization. Any manipulation. And it doesn't have to be in like a supernatural gift. Like if you're executing your gift of service out of your own power because you think it's a good thing to do, like that's good and you're probably serving people and blessing people, but guess what? If you continue in expressing that gift of your own power and volition, you are leaving the door open for pride and what happens after pride comes? Demons love to feed on pride. It is only through an identity rooted in Christ and submission to the Father that pure and godly supernatural things are released. Only through that. Casting out demons, healing the sick, any prophetic or spiritual gift is not accomplished of your own volition, of your own power, of your own energy, or any other force. It is solely because you are called by an uncommon God to do uncommon things, and you have been given uncommon grace to do them. And yes, you have to participate with them. You have to take, you have to take ownership of those gifts from, a, from the viewpoint of a steward. You are stewarding the presence of God. It's not of your own power, volition, or energy, or any other force. It's because you are a common person, but you've been called by an uncommon God and given uncommon grace to do uncommon things to build an uncommon kingdom. And so if compelled by the Spirit, you feel it's God's will to heal somebody. If you're trying to execute these gifts, 
You feel it's God wills to heal somebody or to prophesy over them or to speak over them. And with, with humble submission to the Father and without theatrics or your own power of your own volition, you pray in faith. It's the power of God that will heal them, that will speak to them, that will prophesy over them, that will serve them. It's the power of God, not the power of you. Yes, God used your participation with him, but it has nothing to do with what's inherently inside of you. It has to do with what God put in there. And through your obedience and submission, that kind of opens up the spiritual valve for God to use you as a conduit. It's through faith and submission to what the Father wants to do in you that the Holy Spirit is released. This is the biblical practice of spiritual and especially supernatural gifts. This is how we are to steward the outpouring of God's Spirit well. We don't chase miracles and signs. That is not what we chase. We chase Jesus. And if we believe the book, and if we believe the history of the church, whenever Jesus and the kingdom of God is pursued as our ultimate desire, the miraculous will follow. Because as the kingdom of God goes forth, and it bumps up against the kingdom of this world, Sparks are going to fly. And so if you are pursuing Jesus with your entire heart and your ultimate desire is is to please him and to make his name famous and you are going out and you're encountering broken people in a broken world and if you are submitting to him, the miraculous will follow. But if you go out chasing the miraculous and chasing signs, yes, God might do some things through you, but you are also leaving damage in your wake and you are leaving the door open in your own heart to be demonized and to be used and manipulated to destroy the kingdom, not to build it. If we pursue Jesus as our ultimate desire, the miraculous will follow, not because we are special, but because we are common people called by an uncommon God and given uncommon grace to do uncommon things to build an uncommon kingdom. So this last section, as I kind of close up here, what does that uncommon kingdom look like? If we are common people called by an uncommon God and given uncommon grace to do uncommon things, what does it look like to build that uncommon kingdom? When our identity is in Christ and we understand that the gifts that we have are from him, then we can participate with him in building an uncommon kingdom. Now, my personal eschatology is not that, not that we are the ones that are going to make the world perfect, but God is sending us before him to prepare the way before him, and then Jesus will come back to consummate everything and make it all perfect in the end. Just like in Luke 10.1, I said we were going to go back to that. In Luke 10.1, he sent out the 72 into every place that he was about to go. He was preparing the way before him, and then eventually Jesus will follow and make everything perfect. And so as we are preparing the way before the Lord, what might that look like as the, as the uncommon kingdom of God begins to be established? I think Acts 19 gives us a picture of that. And yeah, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to read the whole story, but I'll summarize it for you. So in Acts 19, Paul comes into Ephesus and Paul begins doing ministry in Ephesus. There's a couple Christians there that he starts to partner with. 
And long story short, Paul ends up spending a little over two years in the region of Asia. Which is, it's what the, the people in, uh, in Bible times called that region. It was an area around Ephesus, Ephesus, and they called it Asia. And so Paul spends two years in this area doing ministry, preaching in the synagogues, bringing people to himself. And as Paul and as the other, uh, the other disciples that he has uh, made are coming with him, the kingdom of God is going forth. And when the kingdom of God bumps up against the kingdoms of this world, people are set free. People are healed. People are saved. And so the church grows larger and larger and ends up growing so large that it starts to affect the local economy. Because that economy was built around the temple of Artemis. A false god, a demon god. And it starts to affect the local economy so much that a silversmith named Demetrius starts a riot because the people that are involved with idol worship can't make any money. Because as the gospel was going forth, people were laying down their, their witchcraft, divination, idol worship, prostitution, all of these things, they were laying it down. They actually had a book burning, a good book burning. Uh, you, can tell, you can see in the story, I believe it's halfway through chapter 19. The people laid down all of their spell books. All their tarot cards, they didn't have them back then. All their tarot cards, all their crystals, all of these things that people used to try to manipulate the spirit of God. They laid it all down and said, nope, that's of the enemy, we're going to burn it. And so because this was happening, the, the, the environment and the economic environment changed so much that, that Demetrius started a riot because that anyone who was involved with idol worship, anyone who was profiting off of unrighteousness couldn't make enough money. They were going out of business because there was so little appetite in Ephesus and the surrounding regions that anyone profiting off of unrighteousness couldn't make a living anymore. That is the result of a common people being called by an uncommon God and given uncommon gifts to do uncommon things who are building an uncommon kingdom. See, what if we were so passionate and bold about pursuing Jesus, about making his name famous and being conduits for his power to be displayed that parts of the economy of Peoria started to go out of business? What if we are so passionate about pursuing Jesus and just loving him? And we're not pursuing signs and miracles. We're just pursuing the king. And when the king starts to break into the kingdom of this world, things happen. People are set freed. Lives are saved. People are changed. People are healed. People are set free. And they don't want drugs anymore. They don't want to go to the strip club anymore. They don't want to steal anymore. They don't want to go to the casino anymore. They don't want to get drunk anymore. Because they found something that satisfies their soul. And so what if we were so passionately submitted to God that through us he just started to break out into this world so much so that the drug dealers start a riot? So much so that the drug dealers and, and the casinos and the predatory payday loan places and the strippers and the prostitutes and everybody's like, we can't make any money. And they start a riot in Peoria. How awesome would that be, right? Like, I would love it. And then we just go out into the streets as they're, as they're uh, rioting and we just start saving them too, right? <laughs> 
That's what building an uncommon kingdom looks like. That is preparing the way for the Lord to come back and consummate everything. What if we were so passionate about pursuing Jesus that anyone who profited off of unrighteousness couldn't make a living anymore? That's what building an uncommon kingdom looks like. So I've said a lot of things today. I don't know what spoke to you. Go ahead and stand. If you want to, you can bow your head and close your eyes. If you don't, that's fine too. I don't care what you do. It's a free country. And so I don't know what the Lord is speaking into you in this moment. But I do believe that he's calling you to respond. Maybe you've been out there and you've been sitting on the sidelines. Maybe you've been living your life as a common person, doing common things. Thinking that, well, I just haven't been given any gifts. I'm not special. I don't have Craig's booming voice. I don't have Chris's prophetic power. I don't have Heidi's gift of encouragement. I don't have Jared's gift of gab to make anybody feel welcome. I'm common. I have nothing. That's good. Because it's not about what you have. It's about what the Lord wants to put into you. And so maybe this morning you need to set aside your pride and set aside your insecurity because it's not about you anyway. And maybe it's time for you to get in the game. Maybe it's time for you to actually submit yourself to what the Lord wants to do in you and stop worrying so much about what you can do of your own power, of your own will, of your own volition, of your own accomplishments, of your own skills. Because if the Lord is actually going to work through you, all of those things are going to get in the way and be stumbling blocks for you to to, to to pursue the gifts of the Lord in a way that is damaging and sinful and harmful to yourself and to the people around you. So this morning, if you feel like you're coming, if you feel like don't have, you don't have anything to offer, you're in the perfect place for God to use you if you would actually submit to him and open that valve of your heart in, in humility and submission to let the Lord work through you. You're in a really good spot. And so maybe you just need to get in the game. Or maybe you need to repent. Maybe, maybe you are a Christian. But maybe like Simon or like Moses, even though you've been anointed and you're operating in the gifts, maybe, maybe you've been trying to, mean, to manipulate them of your own will, on your own timing, And this is Jesus' gentle correction, just like he had for the disciples in Luke 10, just like he had for the 72. He says, yes, the demons are subject to your name. When you pray over people, people are healed. But your mind is slightly off. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in those things. Rejoice that you belong to me. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice that you are adopted into royalty. You didn't earn it. You weren't born into it. I gave it to you. 
So maybe you need to repent of trying to manipulate the spirit of the Lord. Or maybe you've never met Jesus. Maybe you've never met him. Maybe I sound crazy to you. Maybe most of the people in this room sound crazy to you. But you've never met this risen Savior that we're talking about. You never met the one who spoke you into existence. You never met the one who knitted you together in your mother's womb, regardless of whether you realized he was there or not. He was ordering things on your behalf. Maybe you've never met the one who in the valleys of your life, when everything seemed like it was crumbling down, you've never met the one who was actually standing next to you and ushering you through that and protecting you from things that you didn't even know were there and leading you into things and leading you into green pastures that you didn't know were on the other side. Maybe you still don't know they're they're on the other side. Maybe you need to meet that Jesus this morning. Maybe you've been trying to live your life on your own power and of your own will. Maybe you think that you're special. Maybe you think that you're good enough. Or maybe you think too much of the fact that you're nothing. Maybe you're a nihilist. Yes, you are nothing, but that doesn't mean that you're not valuable. Because the God of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, put his image in you. It's not because of anything in you in and of yourself that makes you valuable. It's because the God of the universe put his image inside of you. You are an image bearer of God. And you're more valuable than all of the universe because he sacrificed himself for you. So the band is going to play another song and just whatever the Lord has spoken to you, however he's telling telling you to respond, just want you to, to respond now. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you need the Lord to just break into your life right now. Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe it's emotional healing. Maybe you've gotten some healing, but it's not all the way there. We would love to come around you and just and, and, and offer ourselves up to the Lord to be the conduit through which he, he comes and bumps up against the kingdom of this world to display his kingdom and power. Maybe you have some, some repenting to do. 
Maybe because of other things that you have done in, in, in your life or in your past, maybe there's, maybe there's some attachments on you that are, that are holding you back, that are, that are whispering in your ear, you're nothing, you don't mean anything, you have no value. Maybe you should just kill yourself. And God says, no. The enemy thought he had you. But I say, you are mine. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. So I just rebuke the voice of Satan in this room. I rebuke the voice of all of his demons. And I declare with, with the voice of Jesus, you are mine. I am calling you to myself. Enter into my family. Partake in the divine nature of the Trinity. I am adopting you as my son. I'm adopting you as my daughter. Nothing holds you anymore. You are mine. And I'm putting a robe around your shoulders. I'm putting a ring on your finger that says, you are mine. Nobody can steal you from me. And yes, you feel common. Yes, you feel worthless. But I'm an uncommon God that calls uncommon people to do uncommon things. And I give them uncommon grace so that they can build my uncommon kingdom. It's you I'm looking for. It's you that I'm calling. So Holy Spirit, in this moment, would you just speak to us? Would you enter into this place and do what only you can do? We love Jesus.